Hello, you're listening to a sermon provided by the First Presbyterian Church of Mayopac. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m., and you can watch us live either on Facebook or YouTube. And if you're in the area, there's always a seat saved for you. We hope that this message encourages you to continue growing in humility and faith. Thanks for listening. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the gospel according to John, chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. So let us listen now to God's holy word, which you can find in your pew Bible or in your uh, bulletin insert. Let us listen now to God's holy word. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own accord, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Fun fact about Christ uh, the King Sunday, which we celebrate, wasn't really a tradition Protestants and even Catholics started to celebrate until, oh, I'm going to botch this now, until the 19, uh, yeah, I know, I'm, and I started, around the, the 19, um, 20s or 30s, I believe, it was one Christ the King Sunday was first founded, and it was founded by uh, Pope Pius who saw the sort of shift that was happening in Germany and how people were just so amped up about being German that they forgot what it meant to live as people who were called to live beyond their own national identity. So in reaction to that, Pope Pius said, hey, let's establish a Sunday that emphasizes teachings that go against this wave of only caring about ourselves. Still a message I think we need to hear this day. Which makes it all the more interesting when we read this text and as we dive into it, and we begin to unpack Pilate's conversation with Jesus. I almost picture this conversation between Pilate and Jesus almost being something out of a sitcom where 
Pilate sort of leans in and gives Jesus that look, and then Jesus gives Pilate a knowing look, like, I know what you're really asking me. Because at first glance, Pilate's question to Jesus seems innocent. Well, because perhaps Pilate was really curious if Jesus was a king, someone of royal lineage. But as Jesus alludes to, it's all the more likely that Pilate was asking this question to confirm his own bias of to who Jesus was. So on this Christ the King Sunday, we too stop to look inside ourselves and ask, what times have we stood in Pilate's place? asking those leading questions of Jesus to confirm or deny things we don't want to hear. Because, friends, Jesus is king, just not the kind of king anyone who buys into this world's measure of success would look for in a king. And this clashing of worldviews of and metrics for success frames a conversation we need to have about the values and morality of Jesus' kingdom, not kingdom. But what am I talking about when I say the metrics of success that the world tells us? We need to say we made it. What are those benchmarks? Usually I ask this rhetorically, but what is something that you can name as being a benchmark or something you've hit to let you know you've made it in life. Is it owning a house? See some shaking heads. Is it having a good paying job? Maybe. Is it having health care? I'm asking you, what are the metrics of success we use? Because these are the things we tell ourselves, and maybe we haven't even really thought about what they are, but these are things we tell ourselves and we tell our children. Perhaps that it is you need to have a house. Perhaps we tell ourselves that in order to feel like you've made it, you need a job that makes good money, and that you should just keep at it until you become the boss of someone else and just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Am I wrong? I think this is a story we've been telling ourselves for a long time, a story that goes all the way back to Scripture. And it's one of those interesting stories we've told ourselves because we can actually see remnants of this mentality for success, of what it means to live out a kingdom-building mentality. All you have to do is really drive a half hour or so to Cold Spring. You need to do one of those hikes up there in the nature preserve, and then you find the abandoned Cornish estate there, right? And to think that that place was just sort of a, I don't want to call it a money pit, but people invested a lot in it, only for it to be handed over to some 
nephew, I believe it was, and for it to be burned down eventually and then be reclaimed by nature. All that accumulating, maneuvering with the thought that there was this going to be this long-lasting legacy, all only for it to crumble and to decay and to be reclaimed by creation. Try as we might, nothing we build or the kingdoms we try to build in our own image of what success is, nothing we try to build will outlast the kingdom of Jesus. When we use these metrics of success that we've just picked up on, or perhaps we've taught them to others, when we pick up on these things, we are living sort of in the world, the kingdom of Pilate. In Pilate's mind, Jesus was a threat. Jesus was someone who could take away his kingdom and undo all the metrics of success that brought him to where he is at now in life. Someone who oversaw a whole region. Now, I don't want to portray Pilate as being this paranoid leader But what I am trying to do is have us think about someone like Pilate who is struggling with the genuine issues we face today. That we wrestle with what it means to be successful. We wrestle with what it means to be a person created in the image of God. And we find Pilate living today in us and in other moments, when we view others as a threat, when we view others as enemies, when we view people as outsiders who have come to steal what is rightfully ours, we should never underestimate the power of fear and that the fear of losing something can drive us to do unimaginable things. But what should give us pause is that this fear of losing something is a fear of losing something that was never ours to begin with. And this fear of losing something that was never ours to begin with often keeps us having authentic conversations that result in change because we've already subscribed to one way of thinking and that's it. We can close our hearts off, we can close our heads off, close our ears off, that's it, that's the end. It's the ugliness that rears its head when we talk about things that hit home, right here, when we talk about homelessness when we talk about the drug crisis, when we talk about refugees, when we talk about those who are unemployed or those who are sick and dying, the widows and the orphans. The fear that they, the least of these, could somehow take away our kingdom is what it looks like to live in the world of Pontius Pilate. 
So we ask ourselves, do we want to live in a world that holds the least of these as threats to some distorted standard of success? If we do, well, we can. But that means then we are living with hands and hearts that are closed. Living in Pilate's kingdom means that we live with hands that are closed, with fists clenched so tight that nothing is going to rip out what we are holding onto. It means then that we are not open to offering charity freely for fear that someone will come to take advantage of what we have left. This fear of loss and this clinging to a standard of success, of self-worth and value, sets the kingdom of Pilate in stark contrast to the kingdom of Jesus. Now, you've heard me talk about the kingdom of Jesus, and perhaps you don't know what the kingdom of Jesus is. You just haven't asked me, which I should say now, if you hear me use a word that you don't know, ask, ask me. <laughs> but when I talk about the kingdom of Jesus, this is what I am talking about because we should ask ourselves, how is the kingdom any different than the kingdom? Well, for one, in the kingdom of Jesus, Jesus isn't this conventional ruler. It was never Jesus' intention to establish a conventional kingdom that relied on things like military might and tradition to govern. Because let this set in, if that was Jesus' intent to govern the way a king would traditionally rule, then that means all that talk about the first being last and the many rooms in God's house being prepared for us would be a lie. Because if Jesus were to rule as a traditional king, that would mean that only the best get in. That only those who have something to offer get in. This is why the kingdom of God is so different from kingdoms to which we've become so accustomed to. The kingdom of God was a threat to Pilate because it strips away the way we have traditionally thought of how we should think about ourselves, our self-worth, it strips away the fear of loss. This is what makes the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, so beautiful. Because first of all, it frees us, it liberates us, it unclenches our tightly wound fist so that we can let go of whatever it is we are holding on to so tightly that we can let go. Let go of the treasures we think there aren't enough of. To let go as well of the pains and hurts that have been eating away at our hearts. Jesus comes in, unclenches our fist, and tells us to let go. To let go, 
and to let these things enter the light of truth so that Jesus can bear whatever it is we are carrying. I don't know a traditional king who would do that kind of work. The second part of, I think, what makes this kingdom beautiful is that it calls us to cast our sight to imagine and make real a community created in the image of God's love. A place where assumptions and biases are cast aside. A place where truth penetrates our hearts to show us our ignorance and foolishness and the ways that we have hurtfully treated one another. These are the things that make the kingdom of God a beautiful place. But friends, the kingdom of God is also an anxious place if we aren't willing to unclench our fists. If we aren't ready to relax our clenched fists and hand over what we have to God. As we draw close to closing out our stewardship campaign for this year, we find ourselves asking a question similar to Pilate. Who do you say Christ is? Who do you say Christ is? Is Christ a force that makes you feel uncomfortable because of the reordering of priorities and values we should prioritize in our lives? Is Christ the liberator, someone who permits you, gives you permission to let go and to breathe, someone who you can turn your treasures and your burdens over to and take that much-needed sigh of relief? Or perhaps you would say Christ is a king who makes us feel a little of all the above. By always being there to challenge us, being someone who continually shows us new ways to live in community with one another. And not just with one another, but ways to extend ourselves grace as well. I don't know about you, but the kingdom of Jesus, to me, sounds a lot more appealing than the kingdom of Pontius Pilate, a way which we've always thought was just how the world goes. But perhaps on this day, we can begin to release our clenched fists, to open both hands, and to turn over to God the things that are God, that belong to God, so that they can be transformed and touched by the love of God. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we will hold you in prayer as we head into a new week. If you'd like to learn more about our church and ministry, or if you'd like to learn how you can support us, you can visit our website at mayopacchurch.org. Until next week, God bless.